We are in the middle of a series of messages on the greatest commandment. We've been looking at it for several weeks now. Um, and in the, in the scripture, there was a man who, who came to Jesus and asked what the greatest commandment was. His idea was he was trying to trap him. He was trying to trick him, as they often did. And Jesus responded to him by quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. And it's a really an uh, ironic twist. It's an interesting thing when you look at it because... Jesus answers by quoting Deuteronomy. So Jesus is quoting Moses, who is quoting God, who is Jesus. So it's this really weird kind of circle of things going on there. But Jesus, in response, basically he's going to say that the umbrella that covers all of this, everything that he asks us to to be and asks us to do, is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And so for the past several weeks, we have been trying to solve the question of what does it look like to love God deeply? What does it look like to live for Him? Is, is it the way that we have been taught over the years, or is it something different? What, it, what does it mean to follow Him, to love Him? And so, as we began to look at it, we realized that there are all these problems uh, with that culturally when we ask how to love Him, because, for instance, we had to answer what, what love is, because in our culture, we love everything. Right? You know, it's a word that has really, to a large degree, lost its meaning. And if you want to argue with me, I'll just ask you, when was the last time that you said that you love an item of food or you love a, a sports team or you love some activity that you do? And it, it, it's not a word that really carries any weight at all. Because Listen, if you can love tacos, then love is not a very spectacular word. You know, it's not a word that carries a lot of real depth and real meaning in our culture. It's really more of a verb that we use to describe what we like. So we had to, we had to get into love. What is love? How do you define it? And then how do we love with our heart and our mind and our soul? And so that's what we've been working on. What does this thing look like? What does it look like to love God? Right now, what we, we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks is what it looks like to love God with our heart. And last week, we talked about how the heart, that love has to be fueled. And if if we're going to love God and burn for God and have our hearts embrace God and we're going to worship God, then we have to feed the heart. We can't starve it or our worship will starve. So so last week, we talked about the Word of God. We've talked about the, the Scripture, this the sacred literature of ours. And last week, we talked about the fact that it is, it's not just about reading Scripture. That's not what it is about. In fact, one of the most frustrating things that occurs, at least in my life, is when I'm walking and dealing with a great deal of pain and frustration or maybe confusion, and then somebody answers by just telling me, you need to read your Bible more. And as I said last week, my response is, I think I need to choke you more. That's what I feel like saying to them, because it's just a platitude. There's no depth to that answer. We, we have oversimplified the Word of God into reading it like it's a newspaper instead of slowly and prayerfully approaching the living God in the Word that He's given to us. See, this thing is not a textbook to be studied, but this is a place, listen, this is a place where we interact with the living God. This is not just a textbook with information to be learned. Now, not only is our heart fueled, however, by getting into the Word and prayerfully meditating and listening and, and trying to you know, discover Jesus, find Jesus in this Word, uh, it, it, not only is our, our heart fueled by that, by, by all of those things, but it's also fed by some other things. And I want to talk about one of those this morning. John Calvin, who uh, there are many things with John Calvin I don't agree with theologically, but he once wrote this. He said, no man can have God as his father who has not the church as his mother. Now, theologically, I don't know if that's true. So like if a man's on a stranded on an island by himself, he can't have God as his father because there's no church to go to. I don't know about that, but it does carry weight to some degree because John Calvin had a very meticulous nature. He was a very cerebral man who never wrote anything down if he couldn't fit it into a system. Now, if Martin Luther had written it, we'd have a discussion because he was a very emotional, passionate man. If if Martin Luther had written it, we would have been easy to justify it and skip over it because We'd all just say, oh, he's just angry at somebody. That's, he's, that's just him. Uh, but, but the fact is, 
Calvin didn't trust most emotions. So he writes this sentence based on a massive amount of biblical evidence that deep spiritual formation and deep community with the body of Christ are inseparably linked. If you want to walk deeply with God, you cannot separate that from walking deeply with the body of Christ. That's, that's the whole point of what we're going to be talking about tonight now, or this morning. Now, how does community or walking with each other honestly and closely feed our affection for Jesus Christ? How does it feed or how does it fuel our hearts to love Jesus more? Well, we're going to look at some of this. We'll check out Hebrews chapter 3 with me, uh, starting in verse 12, if you want to turn there. It says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you Uh, excuse me, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So in this text here, there, there is this idea that sin does not take gigantic bites out of us. Sin nibbles away at us and weakens us slowly. You know, one of the things, you know, a couple weeks ago, it was Shark Week on Discovery Channel. Anybody here like Shark Week? Oh, okay, I see, at least you're nodding. I thought, man, I'm the only geek in the whole place. But I got at least one other fellow shark geek. But uh, uh, one of the things about sharks is that, as I've learned through Shark Week and reading different things that I've seen, but is, that, is that most shark attacks are, are not the shark just trying to eat you outright. That's not what they're trying to do. What they, what they do is, is come up and they grab you with their teeth and they, they, they cause a little blood to flow. And, and what they're doing is, is they're taking a little taste of you and they're, they're going to let you bleed a little bit and, and get you to the point where you're weak, where you're not fighting so much. And then when you, when you quit squirming, uh, it will finally just consume you. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me not want to get in the water, you know, uh, when I see that or when I think about that. But, but here's what, what I want to say. Sin works much the same way. I, I, I have never in my life, in all my ministry, I've never met anyone who was passionately following Jesus on a Sunday night and who woke up on Monday morning and said, I don't want to follow Christ anymore. I'm done. It does not happen overnight. I don't think that's ever happened. Typically, what happens is that a a series of disappointments or frustrations or unanswered questions or doubts or maybe uh, small decisions to disobey God along the way, it leads to the hardening of the heart. Has anybody here ever in your life walked through a situation where if you were honest, you would say you felt disappointed with God for a time being? Has anyone here ever been frustrated at his pace of doing things? Anybody? You know, has anybody here found themselves like Jeremiah? The prophet Jeremiah found himself beat up in a ditch going, you deceived me, God. I have. I felt those, experience, those emotions. So we experience the disappointments and frustrations of life, and we don't understand what he's doing. And if we're not careful, our hearts begin to grow hard towards God. This is just part of the journey. It requires faith. But, but let me tell you where this has become increasingly damaging. In the, in the middle of those disappointments and frustrations and unanswered questions, what happens is we become isolated and alone, but nobody can recognize it in us because we know how to play the part. We know how to come to church. We know how to wear the mask. We know how to look. We know how to sing. We know how to take notes during the sermon. We know what to wear. We know how to say amen at just the right point. We know when to raise our hands during the worship time. And we know all the the right things to say. God works all things together, brother. We know how to put on the mask and look good in it. Kind of ironic in today's world that we're talking about wearing a mask. And the whole time... You're wearing the mask and you're playing the part and nobody knows what's going on inside of you. Inside, you're thinking to yourself, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I'm really empty on the inside. The Bible here is saying sin is deceitful. It nibbles and nibbles and nibbles at you. And if you're not careful, it will devour you. 
And if you're not careful, it will devour you. One, one of the ways you combat, you combat sin is by walking with men and women in enough honesty that they can then in turn recognize in you a need to be encouraged or a need to be lovingly rebuked along the way. There, there needs to be people who can come alongside of you and look you in the eye and say, and say bro, you, you tell me that you're fine, but I know that you're not. How can I pray with you? How can I walk with you? Because you're saying you're okay, but I, I know you. I can see there's something going on. You need to be honest with me. With, with me. And, and you know, a lot of, of God's people have tried to fight Goliath all on your own, and he's just beat the mess out of you. And, and as, as a pastor, I, you know, I go through phases of ministry that are absolutely physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausting. You know, and I've had a number of those times in my ministry, but, 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 the, but the thing is uh, that when I'm walking through those times, I often don't realize how completely drained I am. Uh, you know, there are signs, things like I get grumpy. Anybody here get grumpy when you get tired? Some of you are like, no, I just get hungry. <laughs> but anyway, you know, I get grumpy. I get really short with my family. I get to the point where I just start to cry at the drop of a hat. Anybody been there? I remember a few years ago when Aaron was little, we were, we were watching, first time she'd ever watched it, we were watching uh, uh, The Sound of Music. And uh, I don't know, about, uh, okay, I like musicals, I confess to you. You can disown me if you want, I like musicals, all right? Uh, but uh, well, we were watching that together, and there's a scene in the, in the movie where uh, uh, the, the, the captain, the dad, uh, who you know, hadn't sung for a long time, he, he ends up, his children gather around him and he sings with his kids, and I'm sitting there watching this. I mean, it's a nice scene and everything, but it's not like... You know, your dog got run over in the parking lot or something, you know. And I'm sitting there and watching this, and I'm just beginning to weep uncontrollably. I'm like, what is going on here? Why am I crying? Because the dad is singing with his children. And I began to realize, when I began to look at that, I began to realize, man, you know what? I'm just drained, and I didn't even know how, how low I was running in, my, in, the, in the, the tank of my soul. My, my emotion just kind of get me to that place where at times where I'm just living on the jagged edge. And to be honest, now, Julie's used almost always the first one to notice. I don't know how she does it. You know, it's just, it's just because she knows me. There, be, there are times when I walk in the the house after a hard day or something tough went on during that day, I'll walk in and, and, and come in through the garage door and I'll close the door and walk in. And there've been times when she said, are you okay? And I'm like, how can you possibly know this? Because I mean, I just, I haven't even said anything. How can you know this? But she almost is always the first one to see it. And, and she'll tell me, you know, time, you just need to ease off a little bit. And other people will see the tiredness on my face and, and they'll be, they might speak to me about the importance of getting rest. But, but here's what I know. When I'm running on fumes, I'm in a very dangerous place. Because, because let me tell you what happens when nobody knows me well enough to see that. If nobody knows me well enough to see that there's something deeper going on than I'm letting other people see, if, if there's nobody that knows me well enough to see past the mask and past the facade, then what happens is I'm not the pastor here next year. Because eventually it's going to choke me out. How would they ever see that if we're not walking honestly with one another? If we're, if we're not walking in such a way that they can see that I'm fatigued or that I'm getting disillusioned or that I'm disappointed or that I'm hurting. What happens if I'm walking all alone and just wearing the mask well, but not walking in such a way that men can see in me that, that either something is right or something is wrong is that I eventually become overwhelmed by the deceitfulness of sin, don't I? Isn't that what happens? And you know, we talk about the need for encouragement, but I also mentioned the need for a loving re rebuke. I'll be honest with you. I have never enjoyed a good rebuking. Anybody here with me? I have, I, I have never liked that. I've never enjoyed it when I needed. I have operated under the same cycle every time I have ever been rebuked. It, it, since the moment of my conversion, I start with denial and then justification. Then I think about it, think it through a little bit more, and finally leads to confession. I have never had a rebuking go in any other way than that when I needed it. I, I, I have never enjoyed someone coming in and saying to me, I see 
some sin in your life. I see something wrong. I see something going on here. And I, I, I mean, does anybody like that? I don't think anybody enjoys that. No one enjoys being rebuked. But here's the reality. It produces fruit in us if we open our hearts to, to uh, loving correction. It, it produces this intimacy that's worth, worth the price. You know, it, it, and the reality is true Christian community, deep relationships in Christ encourage us, uh, they encourage us to run towards Jesus. See, so if I have that kind of deep relationship with a fellow believer and they're walking with Christ and, and they desire to want to know him and love him that way, uh, the way that I'm trying to, when, when they come to me and they say, brother, I see something going on here. Is there something I need to pray about? What can I do to help you? When we walk through that together, then I learn that I can trust them in that situation. And as I learn that I can trust them in that situation, the intimacy in that relationship grows deeper and then they can help me go even deeper in Christ. See how it works. It, it fuels our heart by letting us be carried when, it needs, when we need to be carried. And, and, and true Christian community tells us to run towards Jesus. Now, if you have a relationship that you are afraid to confess something going on because it pushes you away from Jesus, that's not Christian community. Really doing life together as believers feeds our hearts with the fact that we are not alone. And that God has not asked us to run this thing alone. But, but that's not the only place. Let's look over at James chapter 5. We'll, we'll look at verse 16. Uh, verse 16, however, starts with the word, therefore. And there's an old saying that every preacher has to say, that if you see the word, therefore, you have to see what it's there for. Right? Because it's a linking word. It's, it's, it links what he's about to say with whatever he has previously said. Uh, that means it's, he, he is concluding a thought that he's already spoken on. So what's happening here in this, in this verse is he has just finished talking about and saying, Is anybody sick among you? Uh, if you are, then let him contact the elders of the church and have the elders pray for them and, and put oil on them so that they can be healed. Then in verse 16, this is what he says. Therefore... Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. <laughs> See, we like, the, we like that first verse. Like, anybody sick, call for the elders of the church, let them anoint them with oil. And, and we're like, yeah, let's do that. But then we don't, we, we don't like the next verse, Pastor Jason. Because we don't like that part where it says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. No, 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 I don't want to confess anything. I just want you to pray over me. Just anoint me with oil. I don't want to deal with any, anything going on inside my heart. I just want to feel better. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it, as it is working. So, not only are our hearts fueled to love God more deeply by the encouragement and rebuking that occurs in deep community, but I have been an avid believer and I've preached many times in my lifetime that the secret sins of your heart will never lose their power until they're dragged into the light. As long as it's secret, it has power in your life. And I don't even need to tell you this. How, how long have you been wrestling with the things that haunt you? How, 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 long, how many times have you decided that you're going to handle it, that you're going to change, that you're going to do better? How many times have you punched at it to try to knock it out only to have it defeat you? I don't think we're ever going to get free from those dark parts of our soul, whatever they are, whatever the, the secret inside of you is that, it, 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 that you just try to handle it on your own. I don't think we're ever going to be free from those things outside of confessing it out loud and saying, this is who I am, this is what I'm struggling with, and I hate every bit of it. Or maybe it's, I don't hate it, but I want to hate it. The Bible says that when, walk in, when we walk in such a way with other men and women, where we can trust them enough to confess to them and say, this is the state of my heart. It says, you may be healed. And this healing is twofold. I think that, that spiritual healing and emotional healing included in this, and that, that comes 
that, that comes to us when we confess where we are as human beings. And then when we confess that to our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are loved in the middle of that. We are not rejected in the middle of that, but we are loved in the middle of that. And we experience the grace of God in the middle of that. But this text is also talking about physical healing here. It, could, could it be that, that the secret sin and the, and the guilt and the shame that you carry having an adverse physical effect on your body? Well, David said, when I kept quiet about my sins, my bones wasted away. You know, we, 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 can, we can even leave spiritually out of it, spirituality out of it. We can even leave scripture out of it. But the, the Time Magazine had a few, an article a few years back that talked about what guilt, shame, pressure, and stress do to the human body. It kills us well before our time. The Bible says, do you want to be healed of that emotional, spiritual stress and pain? Do you want to be healed of, of some of the things that actually are causing you to have physical ailments? Then confess your sins and learn to live honestly with other people in the body of Christ. We don't hide anymore. And when we don't hide it anymore, then our soul finally exhales. Now, now go over to Acts 13, starting in verse 1. Now there were in the, in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and set them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now here's what's happening. Here are these men of God who are deeply and intimately pursuing a connection with God Almighty. They are fasting and they are praying. And then at the, at the, at the most intimate level they are pursuing God. And as they did that together it became apparent to Saul and to Barnabas. But it also became apparent to the, to, to the men with whom they were praying and fasting that, that Paul and Barnabas had been called by God and they had been gifted by God for a specific person. Excuse me, purpose, a specific purpose. The, the other way that our heart is fueled to love God more uh, through deep relationship with others is that in those relationships, our giftedness and our calling is recognized and it is worked out. I'll give you an example of this. When I, I, you know, I grew up in a little church, a little Assembly of God church in uh, most of the, it was in Kansas City, Missouri area. I was a, I was when I was growing up, I was the kid in the Sunday school class that every Sunday school teacher uh, just hated to have in the class. I, I wasn't a bad kid. I wasn't trying to do anything bad, but I was. I've always been a cut off, cut up. I've always enjoyed cracking jokes, and I would constantly crack jokes during the entire Sunday school class and I'd get all the other kids laughing while the teacher is trying to teach the lesson. So, you know, I was kind of that one that the, that the, the Sunday school teachers are like, you know, I love him, but I, I just, I just want to kill him. That's what I want to do. I love him, but I love him. I would love him more if he was just, you know, if I could put tape over his mouth, something like that. And so anyway, I, I, I went through all my Sunday school classes growing up and I, Finally got to the point where I, was go I went into the junior high Sunday school class. And uh, the teacher in the junior high Sunday school class was a, was a little, little old lady by the name of Normal Hanlon. And, and I did not say Norma. Her name was Normal, N-O-R-M-A-L. And she said that her, her siblings, when she was growing up, always called her Ab. Because they said, you, you say you're normal, but you're abnormal. But uh, anyway, she was just, she was a sweet lady, just very, very tiny. I mean, tiny. All the, she was the, she was the one in the church that all the kids would measure their growth by. You know, every church has one of those ladies, you know, uh, where, where they're like, you, you feel like you've grown up because you're taller than an adult. Of course, you know, if the adult is, you know, the size of an average 10 year old, it's not that exciting, but, but we would always measure that she was very little, but. She had basically known me all my life. Uh, there's never a time in my life that I don't remember her being uh, involved in our, with our family. And we would often go pick her up for church and that sort of thing. We knew her pretty well. But, but you know what? While everybody else saw me as the kid who was always cracking jokes in Sunday school class, she saw something different. She saw something different in me. 
I remember, I'll, I'll never forget, it's still etched in my memory like it was yesterday. One Sunday, after Sunday school class, she came up to me, and this is back in the days, you know, when you had your, your quarterly for every class, and she gave me the teacher's quarterly, and she said, here, take this, you're going to teach next week's lesson. <laughs> now, I'll tell you, I did it, but I also will tell you, it was, it was horrible. It was terrible. It was the worst, I mean, it was the worst thing. But you know what? Even after that, she would regularly, very regularly, at least once a month, she would give me that quarterly and, and she'd say, here, take this home. You need to get ready because you're teaching next Sunday. You know what? She saw something in me that I didn't even see. She saw something in me that I didn't. She knew me. She had known me my whole life. She saw this in me and she knew me. And from that relationship, she saw that there was something inside of me that needed to be pulled out. She saw that there was something, some gifting, some ability that God had placed in my life. And she said, you know what? I'm not just here to try to pass information on to junior high students. I'm here to be an instrument of God to help them discover what God has called them to do. And she began to give that to me and she began to pull that out of me. And I began to realize. And then later, uh, after my uh, junior year in high school, when I went to a, a summer camp and got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, just a powerful, that's a whole different story in another time. But then when God called me to ministry, I began to see what God was doing even way back then. And that was the beginning of what God was going to do in my life. And over the years, you know, my ministry has evolved. You know, it's changed. I mean, thank God I'm not still, I'm better than I was. I got a long way to go, but I'm a much better teacher than I was that first time in junior high class. Thank the Lord for that. You know, but uh, over the years, I remember going through the different phases. I remember going to the stage where I tried to mimic all the preachers that I liked. You, you've ever done, you've done that, Jason? Probably every young preacher does. You know, I remember I went through, I went through my Jimmy Swaggart phase. He was my man. You know, I, I mean, I went through the phase where, you know, I wasn't anointed until I, I you know, because I'd start with a coat and tie on. And I wasn't anointed until the coat came off and the tie got loosened. Then I'm preaching, right? You know, and I went through these things where I tried to mimic all these other, other preachers and that sort of thing. But, but you know what, eventually over the years, I finally realized that God was going to use me just how he wired me. And so, you know what, now I still crack jokes in church. And somehow God uses that. And it blows me away. I, it makes me love him so much. You know, he hasn't asked me to be, be somebody different. He has asked me to be me. I mean, isn't, isn't that amazing? He didn't ask me to be anyone else but me. Here's the thing. I, and I want you to set, set you free and set your children for, free from this. I am not the next anybody. You ever hear that? You know, who's going to be the next Billy Graham? Nobody. There was only one. And if God still needed Billy Graham, he'd be, you know, like, you know, 102 years old, but he'd still be here if God still needed Bill, a Billy Graham on this earth. There's no, I'm not the next anybody. I'm just the first Dave. <laughs> That's who I am. And, and which means that I crack jokes sometimes when I shouldn't. And I'm a, a little bit goofy at times, but that's how God made me. And, and the fact that he uses me as I am to this day fills me with a joy for him. And it makes me want to be closer to him than I am. And let me tell you why a lot of us don't walk in this. A lot of us don't walk in this because church for us has become like a buffet line. I guess that we don't really have buffets with COVID-19 anymore. Anybody remember? Remember the good old days of buffets? You know, back when you used to be able to pay one price and walk out and, you know, gorged. And, and you, before, you'd pray, before you'd eat, you'd pray. And instead of just thanking God for your food, you'd say, God, please forgive me for what I'm about to do. You know, that kind of thing. But we have made church like a buffet line. And what happens is the normal cycle is, is about three years. We, we land at a church and it's all new and we think it's all wonderful. And then about three years later, the newness has worn off and you, and you find out it's not a perfect church because there is no perfect church. I always tell people, listen, if you, if you find a perfect church, then by all means don't join it because you'll ruin it. 
It's true. There is no such thing. There is no perfect church because there are way too many sinners involved. And so we, we do this kind of thing with church, uh, this a la carte thing going, you know, where, when it comes to church. Well, I like the preaching over there, but I, I like the kids ministry here and I, I like the youth ministry. Oh, I love the worship at this church. And, and so we become floaters and we're committed to nothing but ourselves and our own preferences and our own desires. And it's all about me. Well, I like this and I like that and I, I don't like that. And I don't want this. You, you can come in dressed like you're supposed to be dressed and take your notes and sing your songs and make your faces, you know, the serious face at the right time and, and do the whole deal and never know anyone deeply. And if you never walk in deep relationships with the body of Christ, then here's the, re, the, the scary part. No one will ever see your gifts and you may miss out on that for which God created you. If you're not doing life deeply with other believers, how can anyone ever say, you know what, I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I think you might have this gift. And we, we have an opening over in this area. Would you be interested in checking it out? Our gifts become apparent in community. Outside of some supernatural act where the Holy Spirit just shows up and, and says, all right, that guy that you don't know on the left, third pew back, three seats in, He's got the gift of teaching. Go tell him to teach. You know, outside of that, how does anyone ever find out what you've been called to? Outside of those relationships. So what happens is, and this is going to sound harsh, but let's just be real. What happens is, when you do that, you don't grow deep. You don't discover your relationship, you, your, your gifts in relationship, in the community. You end up becoming a leech. You end up becoming a parasite you end up becoming a life-sucking entity. Okay, that's pretty harsh, I know. But, but you end up becoming a life-sucking entity that attaches itself to the body of Christ and then offers nothing outside of attendance at services. You become, for the body of Christ, the appendix. Right? You just sit there and nobody knows why it's there. But if it, if it ruptures, it's going to cause a lot of pain and grief. Outside of that, you just sit there and nobody knows why you're there. And it's, it's really a shame. It's a shame, not, not just for the church, but it's a shame for you because the Holy Spirit has given gifts to you. The Holy Spirit has imparted unto you gifts. I don't, care, I don't care what you're struggling with right now. I don't care what kind of sin you're dealing with. I don't care uh, what is happening in your life. I don't care if you're in, a, in kind of a, a really a valley of your life. He still has given you gifts. I don't care how far you feel from God right now. He has gifted you. You need us. And we need you. You need to be somewhere so that you can get to that place where you go, oh, wow, he can use me. He can use me. It doesn't, doesn't have to need to be a, a theory, but it needs to be the way that we live. And when we live in this, it fuels the heart with the reality of God and his might to, to save and to heal and to, and to teach people and to touch lives and to do all of those things through you and through your giftedness. Here, here's what I know about what I'm saying this morning. They, these things are countercultural and almost impossible for most of our hearts. And the reason I say they're countercultural because we live in probably the most individualistic society that the world has ever seen. Because it's all about the, the Lone Ranger in America. It's all about uh, me and, and mine and all of these things. And, and so our culture tells us that it's not about community, but it's about you personally. It's about the individual. And, 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 and he does, God does love us individually, but it's hard for us to see these things because this is not the, the, the waters that we swim in. And, and, we're, and we're probably torn all over the place. There are those here uh, who, who are going, listen... I have been honest in church and it got me nothing but pain and there's no way I'm rolling that way again. And then there are those in the church right now going, 
listen, I've been trying to do this. I've been trying to get with a group of guys like that, and, and, and I've just been coming up with nothing. Nobody wants to walk like that. And here's the thing I want you to be careful about, because if you've been hurt and you're afraid to do it again, or you've been looking for it and you, and you begin to think nobody cares about this, it's easy then to, to begin to uh, uh, let that sin uh, begin to nibble at you. And, and one day you could very easily wake up and down the road very bitter and very angry because you've been hurt or because somehow you're superior than everybody else in that church because nobody else wants to do this. And then what will happen is you'll end up throwing out the baby with the bathwater. I don't even really know what that means, but I know it fits right there. So you're going to end up going, forget it all. I'm just going to do it my way. In fact, one of the greatest tricks the enemy uses to separate people from the body of Christ is offense. And we fall for it over and over and over and over again. I don't have time to teach on it fully this morning, but, but basically here, here's how it goes. We, we get offended. I'm going to give you the root of offense. We get offended when our expectations are not met. That's what happens. When you get offended at your spouse, it's because they didn't meet your expectations. When you get offended at church, it's because somebody, a church member, a fellow attendee or the pastor uh, did not meet our, our expectations. And by the way, the greater the expectation, the greater the offense. So, so the more you expect from somebody when they fail to meet those expectations, the, greater, the, the more offended you will be. That, that's why, I mean, listen, there's nobody that can hurt you more than your spouse because you have very high expectations for the way that they should treat you, right? And, you know, and, and that's why we get offended easily with pastors because we, sometimes we put unrealistic expectations on them. But, but, uh, you, but, but it's all about that, that when we don't get, a, I mean, I'll use the other, other end of the extreme to, to help illustrate this. Some guy that you don't know that you're never going to see again, you're walking down the road and, and they walk past you and they say something to you uh, the, that, that's derogatory to you. You may be upset, but you're not going to lose any sleep over that because you don't have a deep enough relationship to expect anything different from them. So anyway, we, we get offended when our expectations aren't met. But, it, but what happens is, instead of responding to the offense the way Jesus said to, how did he say to respond to offenses? He said, offer forgiveness. But instead of forgiving, what happens is, we, we, we don't deal with it. We either try to hide it, or we try to you know, not let anybody see, or we bury it, or whatever we do, or, or we begin to gossip about it. But what happens is, instead of forgiving, we then let it fester in our souls, and eventually what will happen over time, we eventually leave the church, by the way, the body that God put us into. And so if he's the one that put us in that body, it should be him that tells us when it's time to move away from that body. But we leave the church because we're upset, because we're offended, and we find another church. Now here's the problem. We get into a new church, and, but we have never really dealt with the real issues of the heart. So what will happen is we will get offended again. I've got some news for you. For, for you, you will get offended. S something will happen where your expectations are not met. You will get offended. So you go to the new church. Your real, the real issues in your heart have never been dealt with. So we eventually uh, get offended again. And what do we do? We leave that church and go find another church. We get offended again. Then we leave again. And we leave that church. And we go find another church. Get offended again. Leave that church Go find another church, get offended again, and so on and so forth. And what happens is we become what John Bevere calls spiritual vagabonds. We never grow any roots. We never mature. We never find our gifts. And we never become useful in the hands of God in building his kingdom. When we go our own way and refuse to be honest with each other, our lack of deep community leads us into becoming pretenders. Over and over again, I, I want to expose the flaws of my life because I don't want to be a pretender. Let me be anything but a pretender. 
I, I refuse to stand up here and wear the cape. You've heard me say that many times. I, I have very real struggles in my life. I have very hard days in my life, just like anybody else does. And, and, and there are these moments where, where I know I need to come clean to some of my friends and talk about what's going on in my heart. But then I will say, I, I can handle it. it. It's small. This is what needs to change so that I don't fall prey to that again, only to fall right back into it again. And if I'm not careful, if I don't pay attention to what's going on in my life, if I don't find somebody that I can be honest with, then what will happen is I will become a pretender. And it doesn't take much to become a, a pretender. And, and, and the one thing that God seems to despise the most seems to be pretenders. So you see why it's so terrifying? God loves the honest seeker. So I want to be that. I, I want to be that no matter what it costs me. I just, I just don't want to pretend so on the days when I'm in my office and, and I'm praying, have you ever had days where you're praying and it just feels like you're just talking to the ceiling? You ever have those days where it feels like, man, I'm praying and it's not even making it to the ceiling before it drops down and just lays down in front of me like a dead animal? And, and I, don't, I don't want to play the game. I want to be real. So, so when somebody says, well, how is your morning? I want to be able to be honest enough, have a relationship deep enough where I can say to them, Man, I'm telling you, I was trying to talk to, talk to God, but it just felt like it was just, just hitting the ceiling. But I trust God to hear me. And I want to, be, I want to have a deep enough relationship where I can say that with them, and they don't say, hmm, what kind of pastor is that? Well, what, what are you getting out of the Word? Well, lately I've been, feels like I've been wandering in the desert and drinking dust. How about you? Or the flip side, if things are great. And they say, how was, your, how was your morning? Oh, man, I was in prayer, and I just, I just didn't even want to leave the room. The presence of God was so rich and just so real in there. I, I was afraid to look up because I was afraid I'd see God and die. I want to be honest about the fact that sometimes I feel so near to Him that I would welcome death. But sometimes I'm nervous about what will happen when I stand before Him. And I don't want to lie about that. I want to be honest with the fact that, he's, that he has changed my heart. But I also want to be honest about the fact that he's not done yet. He's not done yet. That's where we're supposed to be. So where do we start? Well, I think there's several places to start, and we'll close with this. But I think the first place you have to identify, you have to identify people who know God like that or want to know God like that. Because people who don't want to know God like that are never going to open up their hearts and, and share their lives with you. You know, they're, they're, the people who are here because they find this place entertaining or, they, or merely because there's some spiritual need filled for a week, they're not going to share their hearts or their sins or their struggles or their pains or their realities or their doubts. They're, they're not going to do that. They are what they are. and They're never going to change from that until, until they open their heart and, and begin, to, begin to be honest about these things. So, so we have to find those other men and women who say, I want to know him. And we need to sit down with them. We need to go have lunch with them and say, say hey, man, I need some help. I'm on an island here. I don't feel like there's anybody I can talk to and I hate this. I want to run with somebody who wants to know God deeply. Is that you? Or, or maybe it means that we find that guy who loves God and, and we say, I don't know how to love God, but I want to get there. Can you help me? Or, or, and if you can't, can you at least hook me up with somebody who can? Because here's what I know. Here's what I want to know. This is so important. We have to fight for this. This does not come naturally. If it came naturally, then why is the Bible filled with things like where he says, don't forsake it. Don't forsake it. Don't forsake it. Get with one another. Confess your sins. Walk deeply with one another. Iron sharpens iron. Narrow is the path and few that find it. You know, this whole series, we've been talking about these really ambiguous philosophies. We talked about Raya, Ahava, and Dode. And if you miss those, you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to the first few lessons of this. And we've been talking about love and it's, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about, it's kind of one of those things where you can hear it and you can, you say, oh, oh, that's good. I, I like that. But now we're to the point where we're saying, okay, where are we going? What are you going to do with it? 
do you want to know how? Here's, here's how. Are you, are you willing to walk this out? Are you, will you seek him in the word? Will you seek him in community? Will you do the things that you need to do in order to have that kind of love? Or are you just going to find yourself wandering around in the desert grumbling? Are you really tired enough? Are you really passionate enough to seek him? Because this stuff requires effort. It doesn't just happen. Here's what I know about any deep relationship. This is on the human level as well as spiritually speaking. People don't fall into deep relationships. It doesn't happen. Relationships have to be worked at. Anybody here that's been married longer than two years? That marriage has to be worked at, doesn't it? Some of you are looking at, I'm looking at you, and I know who your spouses are, and I'm thinking, that one takes a lot more work <laughs> than the others. It requires a little work. You know, I don't know, anybody that's married in their first year, they're like, oh, it's wonderful, it's great, it can never be any better. But, but anybody beyond the two-year mark, and maybe even some that, that you know, find, discover during that first year that it requires fuel. It requires work. It requires effort. It's a growing process, and, and it deepens the relationship when you put the work into it. So the question for us today is, will you feed your love for Jesus? We know what love is. We know what that means. We've talked about that. And we know that, that to, to fuel that love for Jesus it means that I'm going to have to get into the Word, not just reading it to check it off the list, but I'm going to have to get into this and breathe slowly and prayerfully and, 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 and listen for the voice of God speaking to me and find Jesus in this. But it also means that I'm going to have to do a relationship. I'm going to have to do community with other people in the body. This is why, you know, it, it, one of the worst things that's happened through this whole COVID-19 is that we've had to put our small groups on hold because that is where that is happening. And I saw that happening in many lives before we had to do that. And so when we get those rolling again, it's going to be huge. But you know what? You can't just wait on that. You need to find somebody who's a close enough friend and say, listen, I give you permission to say the hard things to me. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then when they do it, you can't take the permission back. Because that's what we do. Like, I'll give you permission to say the hard things. Oh, really? Well, here's something I'd like to talk about. Why are you attacking me? You know? But you get past that first initial rejection and begin to let God work in your heart. And if it's something that's real, then deal with it. Listen, that's the question. Will you feed your love for Jesus? It's not do you love Jesus. It's that will you feed that love? so that it can grow deeper, so you can know him better. You can walk in greater intimacy. Because when you do that, you're opening the door not only to know him better, but you're opening the door for him to use you in greater ways. Will you feed your love for Jesus? Let, let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men and women. I pray, God, today that there would uh, be renewed passion and vigor in our lives to find some men and women with whom we can do life together, where people with whom we can be honest and open. Lord, I thank you for those who have found it. And that's a, that is a gift, that is a treasure beyond our comprehension, Lord. But, but I also know, Lord God, as a church, these things can't be programmed. You can't just put a bunch of people in a room and expect it to happen. Even with our small groups, I can't just, we can't just form small groups and then say, well, it'll just happen automatically. It's something very spiritual and something that has to be sought after with our whole hearts and, and maybe even times with prayer and fasting. But God, I just pray that we would chase it. I pray specifically for the men in here because it seems like, Lord, there's some wire loose in us that makes it more difficult for us as men. Maybe it's because we're taught from day one that we can do it and we don't need anybody's help, that we've got to stand up and be a, be a man. God, help us not to be pretenders. Let us be anything but that. Help us love you more, God. Thank you that we haven't been asked to do this alone and we haven't been asked to be like anybody else. Thank you that we have not been abandoned, but you're still here with us and you're walking with us. And I pray, God, that you would just fuel our hearts with the encouragement that comes from the body. 
that you would give us friends that will speak those words of encouragement when nobody else knows what's going on, but they can see it. Lord, I pray that you would fuel our hearts with the, with the gentle, loving rebuke that comes from others that are, that are on this journey. Those times of correction that will be open to your voice. I pray, Lord God, that you would fuel our hearts with the healing that comes in such a way that we can confess our sins to one another. And, that, and, and Lord, that you'd fuel our hearts by walking in the giftedness in which you call us to walk. Jesus, you are better than we could have ever dreamed. And I pray that you would accomplish this in our lives. With heads bowed and eyes closed, and there's nobody looking around. I want to know if there's anybody here who would just say, Pastor Dave, I want you to pray for me. Pray for me because I need a friend. I need somebody so that I'm not walking on an island in this thing. I need a friend. I need a relationship that will be deep enough where we can speak words of encouragement and truth to one another without fearing that we'll be rejected or judged. And, you'd, and if, you, if that's you, I, I, I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray that, yes, I see that hand. I just want to pray, yes, yes. I want to pray that God will, will give you the courage to maybe go have lunch with somebody that you know is a follower of Jesus or a phone call or a conversation and that God would open the door for that kind of a deep spiritual relationship because he's got more for you. There's several hands already been raised. Is anybody else? You say, Pastor Dave, pray for me. I want that kind of a friendship. By the way, women should be with women in this kind of a friendship. Men should be with men. It's far too intimate to take risks. Anybody else? I want to pray for you. Father, you saw every hand that was raised and you see, Lord God, those that are even now afraid to raise it because, because they're used to wearing the mask and they don't want anybody to think there's anything wrong. But God, I pray, pray for them, God, that you would help them to realize that there's nothing to fear. And for those that raised their hand and said, I, I, I need this type of friendship. I, I want this kind of relationship. I pray, God, that you would just put them together with the right person, the right man of God, the right woman of God, and that you would help them to become that for each other uh, where they can begin to speak the truth to one another in love and God, that they would be a source of encouragement and strength to one another. And at times, Lord God, when it's necessary to be a source of correction from your spirit. God, I pray that you would help everybody in this place to walk in deep enough relationships where we can begin to recognize the giftings that you've given to your people and that God, that as a result, that they will begin to put those things into action. God, help us to grow roots that are deeper than we ever thought were, were possible. And in so doing, God, that you would use us in ways that we never thought were possible. And we give you thanks for all of this. And I pray, God, that as we prepare to leave this building, Lord, I pray you'd go before us Use us to, if we go to a restaurant, I pray, God, you would use us to be your hands extended to that, to that waiter or waitress that they would, they would know the love of God as we speak to them. Wherever we go this week, God, let us walk in your favor and let us be your hands, let us be your feet, let us be your mouthpiece. Have your way in our lives, Lord God, and we give you praise in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.